0: The wheel of time turns and podcasts come and go. Welcome to Watcast, a wheel of time book and watch club. We are reading through Robert Jordan's epic fantasy series and watching Amazon's Wheel of Time TV show. I'm Caleb Wimble, and with me today are Nick Wicks, hello, and Dan Katinski. Hey, everyone. Remember, you can find us all at watcast.net and support the show at patreon.com/watcast. Your support means a lot. You could also support us by leaving a nice review on Apple Podcast or. Wherever you get your podcast, if it allows for the the leaving of a nice little star rating and review there. Email us questions, comments, and corrections via contact at with the subject line questions. We'll answer them here on the show. Today, we are continuing our read of book three of the series, The Dragon Reborn. We read chapters 26 to 30. It's a, it's a pretty tight little set of chapters uh, in these. Egwene, Elaine, and Nynaeve in the White Tower. Uh, followed a message they received supposedly from the Omerlin down to a locked storeroom where they broke in using the power to find, I, I believe, what were supposed to be like the personal affects left by the Black Aja and a mountain of evidence that points them towards Tier, towards Tier, the city of Tier, uh, which they assume is just an enormous trap because there's way too much evidence here. And they decide they should probably go anyway. And uh, the next day they're like they're spending the day scrubbing pots. Um, they wind up testing out Egwene's uh, Dream Tower Gryal, The Ring. Egwene goes on a whirlwind tour of the world of dreams. She sees Perrin, nearly gets killed. She sees Rand, and she nearly gets killed again. And then uh, she finds herself at the Stone of Tear, where she potentially almost nearly gets killed again. Uh, but she meets an old woman who is a little bit strange, as claims to be a servant, and uh, tells her a lot about a tear, the forsaken calendar, and then helps push her out of the dream world before whoever it is comes in. Meanwhile, the three of them decide that they are going to, uh, use Matt to get a letter to queen more from Elaine. Uh, and, and they're going to have him be their curry for that, uh, the courier for that. So they can get out of the tower and I'm kind of foggy on remembering this, but I guess the letter to Morgaze is to keep her from freaking out and thinking that Elaine <laughs> is, uh, is being yeah. used by the tower or something and starting, uh, starting an even bigger rift between Tarvalin and Camlin, Matt uh, agrees to go because it's going to get him out of the city. And he's he winds up with the letter that has the Omerlin seat seal of approval on it, that uh, whoever bears it has her permission to do whatever. And then uh, Nynaeve confers with Omer- the Omerlin the next day. Swan shows up in the kitchens and, and sort of catches up on a bunch of stuff. And we learn, I guess most importantly, that Elsa Grinwell, who gave them the message from the Omerlin, was not actually Elsa Grinwell because she was kicked out of the tower 10 days ago and the Omerlin did not send the message. Somebody else set all that up and we might be able to guess who it is given other figures that have been creeping around the tower unexpectedly appearing and disappearing. Uh, Then uh, Matt explores Tarvalin, does a bunch of gambling, something his luck is on, an incredible winning streak, just seems impossible for him to lose. And then a bunch of people try to assassinate him with, with knives a bunch of uh, dark friends creeping around the city. He escapes all of them. A gray man attacks him on the roof and Matt throws them both off the roof and by sheer luck survives and the gray man lies dead. So, uh what do we think of these chapters? What were our big highlights from the week? Nick, we we haven't had it a while. Do you want to kick us off?
1: Yeah, these are I, I like you said I think they're like tight chapters, but there is a lot of meat that ends up, you know, getting pulled back in um in in future books here. So, mm-hmm. uh without revealing too much, like I think the 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 Matt chapter is really, you know, like the first time that we see Matt and and discover that uh you know not only is Matt Taviran, but also he has these like weird uh, bouts with like fate and luck um yeah which is you know huge in this in in the series so i think that's uh exciting to see for like the first um the first introduction into the series and then what also stuck out um to me was i think the when i first read this i was i i didn't realize that like the third the 13 things they left were for mm. sure um i thought it was like a question of whether or not they were um left to be a trap or not but it was like very clear in the reread for me that you know this is definitely some sort of trap um mm-hmm. and <laughs> they had actually burned like or thrown out i forget what what they did to them um the 13 bags of personal effects from the folks who left um so i think those oh, that was like yeah. those were what was that because the
0: armor Omer, the omerlin thought it was all burned right like yes no surprise yes, yes. I to learn scene. this yeah
2: it's all, it's especially the the one um, novice being there that doesn't exist right now, which now has yeah. naive paranoid that anybody could be anyone. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep, yep, yeah. So I think this reread through does a lot clearer to me than the first read through. And then finally, um, the other major major like theme that comes into play here for. Not the first time, but like it's really developing here. It's just Egwene's experience in the Dream World, um, and you know, uh, Sylvie, Sylvie, I think her name is aside. Um, she just mm-hmm. starts to really explore it and starts setting boundaries on like what she should and shouldn't do. Um, so to me, that was like between that and the Matt thing were two two pretty big themes in the series that really come come through in this in the set of chapters.
0: Yeah, she really gets all over the place in, in that single sequence in there, like uh, immediately finding ways to transport herself around the dream world and encountering, uh, like, a, it felt like, wow, just every, everybody's hanging out in and Riyadh tonight. We're going to get the, the old gang back together and none of them know. I had forgotten about the particular imagery with Perrin. That was interesting with the him being chained to the pillar or whatever is going on yeah. it, besides Hopper yeah. being along.
1: Yeah, I forgot uh, about that, too, and I'm, I am actually still am a little confused of whether that was, like, a real reflection, because, mm. uh, yeah, I i don't want to reveal anything in terms of, like, Teleron re- telling I don't even know how to pronounce it, Teleron <laughs> Rand. Re- I don't read it, I've always read it and never said it out loud. <laughs> but,
0: Teleron Riyad, I think it's yeah, close Riyad.
1: Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean like the question is whether that was actually Perrin dreaming or whether that was just her mm-hmm. dreaming about Perrin.
0: Right. Huh. Yeah. Uh, what what do you think, Dan? Or, or I guess what did you think? What, what were your big thoughts in general on this set of chapters?
2: For the parents sequence because they're in the dream world I can't, I can't tell if it's, like... Because they said it's, like, the... Isn't it, like... I'm still trying to wrap my head around, like, how the dream world functions, but I almost thought maybe it could be, like, an alternate reality, parent, Or because he dream walks, it could just be him in a dream state because the wolf's there, and he's, like, trying to tell the, the wolf to stay away from her. So, um, I don't know. Like, she... The description made it sound like he was very rabid, and there's, like, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Still trying to figure that out. Whenever they do dream sequence stuff, I can never tell if it's going to be, like, highly relevant or if it's going to be more of just, like, an obscure reference to something. That seems Mm -hmm. to be happening a lot in this book. Um, The Rand one I thought was interesting because Egwene's a rock in a hard place right there because Rand's actually being pretty logical because he keeps getting these visions of people from the the dark Lord sending them. So <laughs> it makes a yep. lot of sense the way he responds in that scenario. And it kind of sucks for Egwene because she can't really do anything about it.
0: It's um, a little bit, a little bit terrifying that one. Uh, I, I I was feeling for a minute there that, that sense of the potency of, Oh, he, he really might, you know, he, he has every reason to believe she's yet another aspect of the dark one and really might just kill her. Um, depending, depending how this goes. And, you know, she, she so she knows how to hold her own, sort of. But he's also kind of unleashed with the power now. It seems at this point, yeah, what he is a- a- able to them. summon it.
2: It's also interesting too, just how cold, like their dynamic has shifted a lot, which I appreciate. It's less of like the fairy tale. Like, I'm I'm glad they moved away from book one, where it's like all like hearts and roses and everything. It was like really just cliche, and now it's like Egwene's or not. Eg- yeah, Egwene's pretty much like I meet, might need to gentle this person. <laughs> I thought that was yeah kind of a dark response like they recognize like they're she's like the only way like she's thinking in her head the only way might i can help this person is by gentling him and i was like ooh, that's, that's a pretty dark mm-hmm. realization there that she just kind of states as a matter of fact to herself so i thought that was like a mature kind of Egwene's developing rand's developing and rand's going down this dark place and he's channeling against Egwene in, in this dream walk sequence so um i like the connotation of that and how dark that relationship is getting or dynamic because it's not really a relationship anymore. Um, the The older woman that apparently is ugly as hell. <laughs> I don't, I don't know uh, if if she's like a villain or what. They like kind of make it a little insidious at the end, especially the way she pushes her out of the dream sequence. I can't tell mm-hmm. if we're supposed to trust her or not, or if she's like foreshadowing as like some dark, powerful character. Can't I can't tell because
0: Egwene is Egwene wants to get out. She's trying to escape, yeah. and the woman sort of throws her out, but it's also like immensely painful, immensely when, painful when it yeah. happens, and, right? And whatever, woman, we she does.
2: Yeah. And it's like, she could be, like, she knows a lot. We have no idea who this person is. She mm-hmm. seems like this nice, like grandma magic figure, but at the same time, I'm like, she could be super evil, so who knows? Um, it seems whenever they introduce somebody who has a lot of knowledge and power, it, they often turn out to be evil. <laughs> so I'm gonna lean on that side for now. I think it's like an evil character, but could I could be wrong. But I thought that was interesting. Um,
0: the whole library, or
2: is it a library with the sword in the middle? Was like the way I was picturing no, it, or just like that's dif- like, two different two all- different chapters.
0: They they go to the library before that. Yes, they go to the library. They go down to like the secret library archives and the locked door, and then. They go to, then, then Egwene goes to the but dream that she's in the, the Stone of Tear. Yeah. What it's is... like this huge dome fortress, basically. Like Okay, just I think I was confused because
2: beat. she talks about getting knowledge there. So I think my brain had made it that dome into like a library dome with a sword in the middle because she talks about, I guess the, what she was mm-hmm. referring to was like the backstabbing. Like there's a lot of knowledge to be gained, but I assume that meant it was oh, like yeah. some kind of library or record keeping.
0: We learn in the next chapter from the Amarlin that it's full of Terangriol. That the Stone of Tyr is like the other major vault of Tier yeah. other other than Tarvalon. And you know, they they hate channelers in Tyr but they have all these like stored and protected there, like all these artifacts of the age of so legends. It's almost more
2: like a museum than a library mm-hmm. and, or like, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was an interesting location and sequence and everything. But, um, and the, the Matt's kind of an awful person as always. <laughs> and <laughs> the way they have to talk to him and the way he treats the, the three of them is kind of condescending and annoying. Um, but they're able to. Whose letter did they make a duplicate, or did they just give one of the like? They had to. Did they just give queen's? Yeah. I was trying to figure that out. Oh, okay. so they're down. Yeah, to they now. gave
1: they gave one of the letters from the Ammerlin to to Matt, so he could you know it just... theoretically leave the city.
2: That seems super not (laughs) responsible. I don't know. Something about that Yeah, you're like,
1: it's like being on, like, Who Wants a Millionaire and using, like, your call a friend at, like, the $100 question or something. Like, you're (laughs) like, why are you (laughs) sending, why are you giving this guy, like, an extremely valuable letter to, like, walk out of the city and deliver this letter to Elaine's mom so that she doesn't get in trouble.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it seems super insignificant and like they could have done something else to get it out there and they're like oh we gotta it they need to send matt away on a fetch quest yeah own, like <laughs> development but i was like are you serious like this is where you drop one of the letters so yeah the the hundred dollar
0: question it feels like the same problem to me where they yeah they grew up with him and they feel like they can they can trust him because they've known him their entire lives but the entire time we've known him has been in extremely untrustworthy conditions for for the entirety of the book trilogy. And you want, and even for them, I'm like, like he but just trust, got separated from the stagger. Is-
2: But trustworthiness aside, he's always made the poor choices. Like he's terrible at decision making Mm. and he's very irresponsible. So whether or not you can trust somebody, it's more like an assessment of is this person capable? (laughs) He (laughs) has not proven at any point in this book series to be capable. He's like the foolish like joker amongst them that can fight a little bit. He's demonstrated that, but he always makes the worst decisions out of everyone. So does know,
0: does Elaine that. even, does she even raise the prospect of asking uh, Gawain who, who is her brother that she loves and, and seems to trust and they seem to have a good relationship? I don't think I, he's even. Mentioned. I think there's there's, par- this they're
2: paranoid that they'll ask questions. Like they, Matt's not gonna like, oh, understand yeah. that decision making because Matt's not gonna ask them the same kind of questions that the warders in training will. Um, oh right, and
0: Gawain would probably try to stop her from leaving. I guess to yeah. to think of it if she if she tried to go fight the Black Ajah on her own.
2: <laughs> yeah, so that that part makes sense to me, but I'm sure there's got to be other people they could have considered. So I don't know. Yeah, I feel like
1: Matt Matt could slip out of Tar Valen somehow. And like we've already seen, he's a little bit like sly and clever. So you feel like you know, well, yeah, he doesn't need this letter to. He's like jumping on rooftops, like avoiding these assassins. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't think he needs like a letter to get out of the city. Yeah,
2: and now they're they're down in, in what they have. Um, there was also one other mm-hmm. last point. The um, it was near the end what was it again? It was like around, hmm, I forget. It was like something that was bothering me with kind of just the dynamic. um... With Matt? Oh no, the trap setting. So Nainu's logic with back to what you both were talking about earlier. So they have like the 13 like bags that are obviously set by um, Celine and like her set up as a decoy or trap or whatever. She has the Hollywood logic of the best way to kind of work through this is to spring (laughs) the trap. And I'm like, does that ever work for anybody? Like, I don't understand that logic of here's a trap. It's like obviously a setup. Mm -hmm. We're going to go into this setup because why? Like that doesn't, I'm not understanding. Like would it be, she doesn't want to stay there because they're worried about dark friends and she'd rather be moving and doing something. But at the same time, I'm like going there and springing the trap. Seems like you're playing exactly into what this powerful Mm -hmm. dark, dark friend or dark being wants you to do. So I don't, the logic is escaping me there.
1: I don't know. Like at least the, I don't know, maybe, um, the Hollywood logic trope is true, but they they do have the knowledge of the trap now so you can at least argue that they'll like be prepared to be assaulted at some point um, or something but mm-hmm. it is kind of like I don't, I guess they're like at dead <laughs> end like they're assaulted. at a dead end
0: yeah it's like they know they have to stop the Black Aja from whatever they're trying to do with Kalindor, right like that when we learn we learned from the Amrilin Kalindor is like a nuclear weapon scaled. Uh, Songriel, like one one blow of it will level a city. She says, and like, it, and it sounds you know that any of them could use for that if they could find a way to remove it, because currently nobody is able to touch it. Only the Dragon Reborn is supposed to be able to get through this force field or whatever it is that's uh, that's woven around it right now. So I can I can see that uh, it is yeah the Hollywood logic of well what what else are we going to do though we we have we know we know they're going for it we can't let them go for it they know we're gonna that we're gonna come after them. You're kind of just playing uh, like five D chess at this point, right? Like just trying to figure out how you can think steps ahead. Of I know that you know that I know that you know. Uh, in or uh, or the the poison sequence from Princess Bride kind of thing. It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't seem like they have a lot of options except um, given given the critical nature of it. Maybe yeah. I guess it comes down to they just it's like Swan has nobody to trust. Her the only person who is more competent that she could send to do this is Moraine, and Moraine is uh on the other side of the world doing her drag Well, she was with Rand, and she was supposed to, and she was trying to stay with him. Do we know what she's doing now? It's been enough chapters I've forgotten.
2: She's taken such a back seat in this series, which is surprising to me because the show fills mm. her as such a primary character, and the first book she was a primary character. But I'm just very surprised by book two and three, she's like not present for most of it
1: yeah that's definitely Mm -hmm. i talk about hollywood tropes i think they that is absolutely what they're doing is like trying to focus on a couple key characters because she definitely disappears (laughs) she's like off the off the map right now
2: but why though like what is the i'm wondering what is she doing right now um
0: but so why did Jordan? I'm, sure, I'm sure we'll central. find out. Okay. From a story perspective. I, I think from a writing perspective, it, it could be I mean, partly it's it's the need to develop these younger characters, the ones who because they've been so we've talked about how un- underdeveloped they were in the first book, and they've really gotten the chance to shine a lot more in the second and third and, and become uh, she's more compelling them. protagonist. Yeah. And I think that's the the big problem with having Moraine around is her combination of to us hyper competence, trustworthiness, uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, and knowledge and reliability in a way that you can, whereas if you have somebody like Swan Sanche, she is, she is all those things, but she is tied by her position of power in a way that she really can't do what she needs to do and go where she needs to go. She is stuck and trapped within her own power in the tower. And Varen has been filling a lot of Moraine's role, but not We don't have that same degree of trust and history, and everybody has been suspecting Varen of maybe being a dark friend since they met her. And she knows a lot, and she sort of inserts herself into things, and nobody's sure whether... She yeah. can be trusted with this or not, and she has that sort of absent-minded, like Radagast the Brown thing. You know, she's she's not really the one who's going to go focused on this one quest out somewhere. So, it, uh, yeah, I, I know. it's maybe a little a little gamey in in working the story this way, to where it really feels it feels to me like there's nobody else who could do this right now except Egwene, and Elaine.
1: I think one thing I, that keeps occurring to me as we go through. Um as we go through the books and, and this is my reread uh, is just like the lack of um, use of like the one power. So even when, hmm. um, when uh, the Amarillyn like goes into the kitchens and is like kind of wandering around, like she's really just using like, you know, guile and tact to try to like, you know, uh, you know, cordon off Nynaeve and, and talk to her and the others. And, mm-hmm. uh, and just like as 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 i'm reading through these chapters and i'm just keep thinking like okay this is supposed to be like the most powerful (laughs) the most powerful magical person in the world and she like can't find a way to like you know communicate with these three girls in in her own like you know domain um that that keeps occurring to me um every because i I think also too later in the series there's a lot more power usage um so you know jumping back to the early early time where it's uh there's a lot less is i keep I keep thinking that through and like how um like I keep thinking like how muggly it is
0: it's interesting that you say that because uh given that Egwene is using the power almost continually throughout these passages passages and the like the melt the, the 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 lighting up of the library below the breaking of the lock, she's not quite sure how she does it, but she knows how to work earth and fire and steel now and she's and she's weaving in the dream world and getting there which speaks to how much more <laughs> power there's going to be later on ba- based on uh, based on what you're saying but yeah that's fair i think isn't isn't that's reason a good she's, point too
2: but unlike like harry potter or other magic systems aren't they very interconnected because of the weave so it's if one of them tries mm-hmm. to channel or use some kind of magic to communicate or do something so they don't have to do like very almost archaic ways of commu- like sneakily talking to mm-hmm. each other If she tried to do anything like that, wouldn't all the sisters in the room be aware of that? You can't channel without getting that glow and a very obvious connection to the power. Like there's no way to be subtle with the one power because as soon as you like Mm -hmm. turn it on, you're like a battery that's showing everyone else around you. So there's like no way to be subtle about using the one power.
0: I think that all ties into how Swan could barely like, yeah, she's the most powerful person in the world uh, outside of the dark one and can just barely maneuver in her own domain. She has to be careful who sees her doing what, uh, like whether someone detects her using the power, like you're saying, who they see her with can't be given too much attention to these like newly raised novices to accepted who are supposed to be on on the outs right now and we have no the, the tower is already mostly empty and we have no idea how many of who's left here are dark friends and or the forsaken who is running around the tower who i don't think swan knows about yet at this point everybody's keeping secrets cuz nobody knows who to trust ninee still holds back a few things from her in their conversation um which at least this time it didn't seem like anything any information that she needed to tell Swan necessarily, uh, she gave her all all the important stuff around their actual mission. It was a little bit extracurricular, the stuff she didn't tell her. Though we did learn that Swan already knew about Elaine and was allowing that to happen the whole time because that was convenient for her to not be responsible uh, for, for getting more gazes, uh daughter wrapped up in all this. Also, yeah, although...
1: Cool. Clearly, clearly, though, like if Egwene's using, I think that's a good juxtaposition of Egwene using the power and being this novice. And we have Mm -hmm. Swan who's restricted and like almost like can't use the power uh, and is like totally not free. Uh, as this, you know, figure who's supposed to be the ruler of, of you know, uh, of like this magical world. Um, mm-hmm. So it's interesting juxtaposition. Also, the Egwene using the power kind of negates um, the thought of like you'd think they'd be able to detect her based on our our discussion is like because she can light up like that. So if Egwene's using it, yeah. then there must be some way that Swan Swan can use it. Uh, but she's still, she's still so restricted.
2: But Egwene only uses it when... So down in the basements where they're like miles and miles underneath the ground, which they flag as like mm-hmm. a concern because they can't even scream. No one's going to hear if they get attacked or ambushed. And then in the dream oh, yeah. world, she uses it, but she is conscious of, as soon as she like channels, she's like, oh, I'm in a dream world, but still Dark Friends might be able to, like, or Mergerall might be mm-hmm. able to detect me. So I think she stops almost immediately. So they're usually only using it in their quarters and stuff, but around other Aes it seems to be like you can't really channel. But somehow Celine does. Like, Celine has some kind of power that's not detectable. Mm-hmm. She's not She's not glowing when she's doing things like teleporting or making fake personas. Yep. I'm not sure how she's doing that and getting away with it. If she's just that much more powerful that she can go undetect it. But...
1: It's so nice to have people yeah. on the podcast who have read the book and then not read the book, too. Because <laughs> I love, <laughs> yeah, I love yeah, hearing Dan's, like, uh-huh. like logicing things through that mm-hmm. eventually come out.
0: I always try to make a note of all, all these things so that when, when we come to the answers, it's like, ah, you picked up up on this and you are getting the yeah uh the ask asking the right questions at the right time and, and all those definitely out of the loop here since you <laughs> one of all, like the three that hasn't read yeah the book the book learners outnumber for once today uh we get i guess one other one other thing that stuck out to me with matt that he is wondering as like somebody mentions that he has the dark one's own luck he sort of freaks out and pins yeah. them against the wall and, and uh um, just like screaming at them, don't, don't call me a dark friend, blah, blah, and all, uh, And then thinking to himself, um, God, wait, is it the dark one's luck or wh- oh, oh light? What did that bloody dagger, did it do something to me? And trying to, and yeah, maybe considering that it has warped his personality in some ways and also potentially is responsible or related to these powers manifesting. Although he does think about the fact that he was always lucky, just not, not like this, not like this whole night of these bizarre chances rolling out this way. Uh, and he has a thought about Rogosh Eagle Eye. And I can't remember if, uh, if that is somebody that he knew from stories before because uh, we know that that is one of like the legendary figures of the horn or if this is another instance of memories intruding uh of characters uh, that he that he sort of acts like he knows but has never met we've had a few minutes of that since the the dagger dreams and shortly after
2: i think i missed that i wasn't paying attention at that part near the end of this set of chapters i don't actually recall him bringing it up it's like the
0: first, second to last page of of chapter 30 or or the last page depending on how your copy looks okay.
2: I also didn't pick up until you said it that the person he stumbled into that he kills was a soulless person.
0: Mm. Well, he doesn't know that term,
2: right? What gave it away though? Because I, I think I'm sometimes confused about these like zombie characters though. What was the indication
0: mm-hmm. there that in the description that I totally did not pick up on? So he's up on the roof at this point, and he still doesn't notice this guy until he is like, the guy is right on top of him pulling a knife and about to kill him. And that's the first moment that he's able to sort of perceive this person. And uh, it keeps having this sense of like, not like it's different from the dark, the dark friends or whoever was trying to assassinate him down below. Um, uh, with with this character that he sort of finds uh, difficult to see, and then after the figure is dead and the, and his own dagger winds up in his heart, mm-hmm. he Matt has this thought about how such an ordinary-looking man, uh, like like bizarre, like he's almost like weirdly normal. He didn't think he would have even, even noticed the man in a crowded room. There's like something about him that seems totally nondescript, and that's exactly how the first soulless we met. Was described before the one that Chirium wound up killing that almost got um, I think it was going for Elaine I forget for for one for one of them in the tower before so I and the the summary are kind of just making the jump and assumption here that it's a that it's a soulless or, or, or gray man which Matt doesn't have the terminology for yet gotcha yeah, yeah. I did not pick up on that <laughs> so it's like insert very blank NPC that is not distinguishable on all. <laughs> That is a great way to get out of. I don't feel like describing anybody right now. I guess if uh, if you're running the, the 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 RPG session for the Wheel of Time, uh, any any final thoughts or, or other standouts this week before we wrap up, hmm. or for things we're interested to potentially get to next time.
2: Still finding it very fascinating that this book out of all them like Eguin is like so much more useful than even a lot of ways because. Mm-hmm. She can channel when she wants to. So there's been multiple occurrences now, especially this set of chapters where it's like, well, you can only channel when you're angry, and that's becoming a huge roadblock that Nynaeve needs to get over soon because it's having to generate yeah. that anger is becoming very a huge hindrance to like effective channeling. So it's it, this book in particular, it's now become that handicap that it wasn't in the mm-hmm. last two. So where she's been getting all the attention and glory and everything now, like Aguin, who has a much better control and understanding of the one power. Yeah is having her moment to shine before Nynaeve gets over that roadblock.
0: It was also in these chapters giving me, uh, putting in a new light Nynaeve's kind of irrational hatreds and degrees of them that we talked about before, especially her undying vindictive desire to get back at Moraine. And to whole. And I think these chapters were the first time it completely clicked for me, th- especially in the scene with the Omerlin, where... Swan is pointing out that naive is not nearly as good a judge of character as she thinks, oh, and yeah, naive Ny- is making all these judgments about about the cook. And Swan reveals, actually, actually, the head cook is the one who's been advocating for you and didn't want to dole out these punishments and threatened to quit if we made her break your spirits, which I thought was great. But we're also getting, I think, here this real sense of naive. Oh. She, on some level, it's not just subconscious. She is deliberately holding on to this irrational set of rages that she has because it's the only thing she can cling to to access her powers. Like, she is not just unconsciously, but consciously, I think, several times throughout these chapters, doing everything she can to hold these grudges and keep herself mad because it's her line. It's her It's her yeah. connection to... Power. It's like a literal. It was, I was talking about it as a metaphorical mental defense or, or block before, and here it's just like it's fully. It's it's all, it's like physical in in that sense. It's it's the way that she is able to protect herself is to have these things that she knows probably deep down are are not very sensible.
1: Yeah, I feel like that's what. Then the transition with Naive is interesting because they start out, you think that Naive is like this wiser character. I mean, she's a wisdom, right? <laughs> so she, you assume she has some level, degree of like uh, emotional intelligence. Uh, yeah. And then as, as the story goes on, you realize oh, actually, she is just. Uh, she's she's similarly naive, or she's naive, which is in a different way than the mm. other characters are, and
0: maybe better at giving advice when it's not related to her and when it's other people's lives and she can step back for a moment and separate herself. Because it seems like the moment she's involved with anything, it, it's uh, it becomes so personal, like like with uh, like with the cook uh, whose name escapes me throughout that scene, Laris, Laris, yeah,
1: yeah, I can relate to that. Yep. <laughs> I can relate to naive. <laughs> <Yep. laughs>
0: But it's also interesting
2: because it mirrors a lot of like going to like a designer art school and the idea of Mm. talent versus like hard work. And the folks, there's a lot of folks that come in with a lot of like raw talent or inclination for something. Mm. And then they're the ones, and I've experienced this myself, so Nynaeve's relatable. It's like if you come in with an ability, you often take the most time to relearn it and pick up what the Mm. professor's trying to put down. And they can be the most frustrating people to have to engage with because they're so... Much clinging to what they had before, that it quickly becomes a handicap, and the people that came in with no preconceived notions of something can pick up mm-hmm. the concept a lot faster. So, once you get over that roadblock, you're good and you can jump ahead again. But for a while, you're like lagging behind until you start to like recognize that these things you're clinging to are actually a hindrance instead of helping you out.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely see that outside of the art world, too. Like, I, you're, I feel like you're talking about my, my, uh, my, my company and
2: the teams I work with. True. can find instances anywhere. But yeah, the idea of like, you just have to let go of like kind of the the stuff that might be an advantage in the beginning becomes a handicap if you're not able to kind of get past the stuff that's holding it down or kind of the, the way it's operating if there's like hindrances
1: there. So, Dan, I think you're what you're actually doing is complimenting Jordan's writing and character development here. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, he, he does, we, we bash him enough that I really do when there's things I like about it. And I've been really enjoying these parts of the book. I didn't like the beginning of this book. I thought it was kind of boring. I didn't like the camp setup. The parent stuff was not I was glad we got the change in POV. I wasn't very attached to it. Um I don't like Marines dynamic with them anymore. It's like very, I don't know. It's it's reaching that part in the series where it's just like very grouchy and everyone's miserable and it's just like it's not fun and it's hard to read. Whereas now we're back in like magic school land where we got these like the women are so much more fascinating than some of the other characters. So the, the trio of them are so much fun to engage with because they got great personalities that are very different and they mesh well together. And like even mm-hmm. the cute scene of they're like, I don't wanna I don't wanna sleep alone, and then the other one's like, I don't either, and then they all like kind of explain like they're like, Oh, I'm I'm not either. Let's all like cram into this bed. It's just like the, those are touching moments where these people feel more human. Whereas mm-hmm. like with the, with like parent and everything, it's just, um, not really parents interesting. But I don't. The relationship between the three guys is so dull in some points. It's like it's not nearly as fleshed out as like the women's dynamic. But it's like oh, it always comes back to like oh, I wish they were here because I can't talk to a woman is like the only <laughs> connection they have as guys, and they don't have much of a friendship outside of that. Whereas like naive and Egreen have such a dynamic of like this mentor student role, but then also becoming equals Mm -hmm. and they care about each other. And they have like these things that play well together. And like, and then you add the trio of like the queen's daughter and this coming from royalty gives like a different perspective for her character and her personality is different, but they all, I don't know. There's so much more fun to read about than some of the other characters in the book.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. And I, and I think it's becoming clear at this point, given Egwene's brief encounter, uh, in, with him in the dream world, why we're not focusing on Rand this book directly, because it's, it's, it's like, he's just kind of going through this hellish, uh, constant uh, assault of, of the dark one throughout that we've done enough times probably in the first two and he's any, he, and it sort of gives us the chance to go and experience everything else. But happening. the irony
2: of him being the one on the, like most of the covers and the book being called the dragon Report <laughs> And this features the least of Rand we've seen so far. I just expected this to all be about Rand, but fortunately, it's like the exact opposite. But I did the promise, marketing is book very three, misleading. Pro- yeah, yeah, <laughs> but just like it's like, oh, this one's the Dragon Reborn, but the Dragon Reborn is like nowhere to be found for most of the book.
0: Well, I think that's a good place to wrap it up for this time. Next time, we'll be reading chapters thirty-one to thirty-five. If you're reading along, uh, yeah, remember uh, once again that you can uh, you can find all our contact info at watcast.net. This episode of WhatCast was produced by yours truly. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Caleb Wimble. Dan, where can people find you on the internet?
2: On Instagram and Twitter under the handle PansyDan.
0: And Nick, good to have you back again. And uh, yeah, if you're, if you're reading along and enjoying them along with us, it would be wonderful if you left us a five-star review on, on uh, Apple Podcasts, your podcast platform of choice. Uh, One recent review I'll read out this week from WayneWord1018, who who wrote in in this five-star review, found someone else reading the books. Great review, team. I enjoyed the show. It It fumbled the finale, but I enjoyed it. I wondered if, like most adaptations, the book could be better. Uh, The first one was better. It fumbled its ending too, but for different reasons in the show. Now I'm going through books two and three with the podcast and having a blast. So uh, thank you, Wayne Word. And uh, yeah, we'd love it if you feel similarly and you're having a good time reading or watching or both along with us if, uh, if you go ahead and leave a review. That is all for today. Thanks so much for listening, folks. And remember, this is not the ending. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time, but this is an ending. Farewell. to keep my voice through this. I might try to make it a short one. This is, this is my my second podcast today. I was guesting on somebody's this morning about a, the book interview thing. So I used up a little bit of my host voice.
1: What was the podcast about?
0: It's a, it's, it's an RPG podcast. So they were, they were covering, so they they had me on for a guest spot to talk about Sojourn and some of the, some of the other recent stuff happening in the space. So that was fun. Um, Did okay for my first ever, not quite a press interview. I think (laughs) just got to practice with these. Um, Yeah. All right. Where's my spiel? Don't have it. Top of the head. The wheel of time turns and podcasts come and go.